Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 104. Huge thanks to everyone who listened and shared last week's episode, The Great Sex Rescue with Sheila Ray Gregoire and Rebecca Lindenbach. I have had amazing responses to that show. Uh, Some really heartbreaking responses for sure, but definitely an encouragement that this is an important topic and uh, people need to hear more about the harm that has been done to people as a result of some really bad evangelical messages surrounding sex and marriage. Thank you to everyone who joined my Patreon too, so you could listen to the B-side on that one, and I will share some of the comments I received at the end of this show. This week, though, my guest is Melinda Estabrooks. Melinda is a Canadian television show host, conference speaker, and editor of the new book, Always Know. For those of you who don't know Melinda, her career in Canadian broadcast, TV, and radio spans over 20 years. She's someone that I've known about for quite a while. We've interacted and met at industry events over the years, but it was a real pleasure to finally sit down with her virtually have her on the show she shared her story of being abandoned as a baby being adopted by a canadian family experienced racism in the 80s growing up in canada uh, developing her career facing major depression even divorce while in a very public christian ministry if you've ever felt like god doesn't see you or that the world is ignoring you then uh, i believe melinda's story is going to be an encouragement here we go. Melinda, I'm excited to welcome you to the show today. Uh, this is this is cool. I was really honored to be on a panel on your show. I, I did not take that lightly. That was really special for me personally. And so to get to return the favor, I'm so glad to do it. Welcome. Well, I'm excited to be here. And Jonathan, like I, I said to you just earlier, uh, out of, well, can I say this, out of any of the podcasts and interviews, <laughs> yours was the, was the one I was really looking forward to. Um, so I'm really excited to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, I I got to say, just for, for the listener context, you know, you've got a book that's just come out that you've brought together all these stories from folks who've been on your show. I was honored to be included. I, I didn't realize I was the second. <laughs> I, f- I got my copy with a lovely inscription from you. Thank you. And I flip it open and my story is the second story. And I'm like, whoa, it's right there. <laughs> you know, and then of course I'm like, oh man, I wrote this for a blog. And my my author brain is going like, is all of this context? I'm like, okay, it's not my responsibility. <laughs> it's not Let it my, go. It's not my product. <laughs> But uh, I really, really enjoyed the the launch party for this book and hearing from all these different people who you've built relationship with over the years and the way that you are pushing forward conversations around diversity, around uh, just like a plurality of experiences of life within the Christian Canadian media space is really, really important. And you're doing that so well, and I'm just so glad for that and relieved. Uh, So I just would love to hear today a lot more of your own story and kind of why these things are are passions for you, why they're important in, in your mind. I mean, I totally agree with you that they're important. And so I'll, I'll do some of the devil's advocate interview work as you, as you know, Mm -hmm. but I, I'm just so thrilled that you're doing it. I'd love for you to introduce yourself a bit and unpack your journey and what brought you here. Wow. It's a lot. Uh, But thank you for, you know, the space 
and platform to share. So, I mean, if you want to start right from the beginning, uh, you know, I always start with my story about being adopted. And, you know, in the backstory of that, my birth mom, Dory, was a young teenager and, you know, unfortunately was, got pregnant in a really, uh, you know, difficult situation with someone she trusted and had a decision on what she should do as a young teenager with a baby. And thankful that, and I'm, and this is maybe the start of it, thankful that a girlfriend had the courage to say, hey, listen, you know, I can support you, I can help you, I'll be with you. And I know this place, you know, a hospital in a place called the Abiertus House of Friendship outside of Manila in Quezon City, where you can uh, leave your baby. You know, and that baby was me. So at just under five pounds, I'm left at this, you know, basically orphanage slash um, place where unwed mothers could go and leave their babies. And a beautiful story that, you know, my adopted parents, Paul and Diane, they were living in London, Ontario. I mean, Jonathan really living the Canadian dream. My dad was in television and a teacher. My mom was a school teacher. They literally lived in a home with a white picket fence. They had two kids. Everything's going fantastic, involved in church community. And my parents went down to Urbana, which is a big missions conference in the United States. Some people know about it. Some people don't. And my dad will say this. He was walking down the hallway and, you know, a guy steps out from one of the booths. If, if you've ever been to one of those kind of conferences. And he said, you know, this is a Far East Broadcasting Company. And we're looking for people to share the gospel, the good news uh, via radio, transmitter radio, because at that point, obviously, there was no Internet in that in this way and television uh, to areas that are, you know, inaccessible into like jungles um, and in remote places in Southeast Asia. Now, it's crazy, but my dad will tell you, like, it was like, that was it. It was like wow. God spoke, said, you're doing this. Now, they had a lot of opposition from the church, from their family. Like, why would you leave the comforts of Canada and go in the late 60s, early 70s to a country that they kept calling China? Because everything in Asia at that time, Jonathan, was China. It wasn't the Philippines. They kept calling it like the Philippians people. Are you going to the Philippians? Because nobody had context to the Philippines then. And they went. And I am thankful. You know, one of the, the threads and themes of my life is that your choices matter. Your decisions matter. Because if my parents had not decided that, had listened to people saying, no, that's so dangerous. Don't do it. It's so unpredictable. We have no idea what's happening there. I would not be here today. You know, that's that's just the reality. And when, you know, my parents went overseas, they saw the great need of care for girls, you know, at that time and still in this world. And this time, Jonathan, you know, girls are being discarded and they, they witnessed and saw in the news, like babies, girls being thrown into rivers, being discarded in plastic bags by the roadside. Mm. And, you know, their heart was broken. They could never seen such poverty and desperation in their life, come, leaving Canada to the Philippines at that time. And then my mom had a miscarriage which is, you know, a devastating loss. And they've told me that, you know, they, my dad and mom looked at each other and said, you know, how can we take this loss and grief and, and turn it into something good? And at that point, a friend told my mom about the Abiertus House of Friendship and said, I think you need to check it out. And then in this supernatural, cosmic, incredible clash of things, 
I ended up there at the time. I, Paul and Diane wanted to adopt. They got a call and the woman said, there's a package for you. A baby just came in and it's a little girl, four and a half pounds. Uh, and I think this is the girl for you. And Jonathan, that's really how it happened. It All the pieces of decisions of people to ensure that I am here, it, it, it makes me quite emotional that that's what it took in so many levels. And so I was adopted and, you know, became a Canadian citizen and they named me Melinda, which is my beautiful, my name before that was just baby. It was baby Adarashian based off of my birth mother, Dory. So I had no name. And that's even significant for me about name and being given a name. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that part of adoption is a big part of my story. And, and, and in that later on, just, you know, being adopted into sort of God's family and maybe, I mean, as I'm sh- chatting with you, maybe that's part of what, why my heart is so open for including people. It's almost like adopting them into community, bringing them in uh, to experience new family and new experiences. So yeah, I, wow. I was adopted. Yeah. Actually, that's, I think the first time I processed that <laughs> in that way, because I think adoption is, is a beautiful picture of, of what God does with us as well. And also I think adoption honors the decisions of people. Like, you know, I say every time, like, yes, I think, Paul and Diane for adopting me, but I thank Dory for the courage it took as a young woman to the decisions that she made, Uh, you know, to have me, to keep me, to then, you know, give me up. And, and Jonathan, you know, this is an incredible story, but years later, I, you know, I said to my parents, I think as any adopted child, you want to know where you came from. I mean, I'm a Filipino brown child. My, my mom is Ukrainian. My dad comes kind of from the New Brunswick way, English. Uh, you know, my sister and brother, blonde and brown haired, you know, green eyes. So I think for someone like that's been internationally adopted, that's something pretty significant. Like where did I come from? You know, blood connection. So when I hit 30, I, you know, went to my parents and said, I think I need to find her. I need to find my birth mom. And my dad was like, you know, there's three options, Mal. She's either passed away. She doesn't want to see you or she will see you. And through prayer and hiring seven men through pastors we knew in the Philippines, they looked for her for seven months and they found her. It's incredible. It's incredible. story. actually CBC, which is our national news station here in Canada, did a whole show um, on my story. They came to my home we sent up it's an incredible Canadian story and so we found her I flew down to the Philippines with my dad and uh it was probably one of the most spiritually enriching again the supernatural part of God in the room and she walked in the room and all I could say Jonathan was you know thank you and she held my hand you know face and she said that the day that she gave me up she's prayed for me every single day and that I would be okay. And that I would get opportunities that she couldn't give me. It's like, and my dad, everybody was crying. Like the interpreter's crying, my dad's crying, you know, and, and the story is incredible. Like how we found her was they located just from a little small record, her sister. And at that time in the mountain of trash barrio in, in Manila, I, I, I don't know how it's even possible. Again, it's always just a God story. And they found Clarita, who this is interesting, Jonathan said, 
yeah, our, our sister Dory left like 30 years ago. We don't know what happened to her. I don't even know if she's alive, but something happened in her life that made her leave. And I, we found out later that was me. She was ashamed. Mm. She was scared that, you know, she would get in trouble. When she moved from Southern Philippines to Manila, her parents told her, don't ever get in trouble. Don't dishonor our name or we will we will essentially kill you. We will, we will banish you because, you know, our name is important. Mm-hmm. So for a young girl at that time to get pregnant would be a, a huge dishonoring. So she, so her parents never knew about me. Uh, Clarita found her and somehow through, you know, just incredible connections, we found a pastor that lived in Southern Philippines in Makado in Auckland province, who somehow knew of a farmer that kind of had the name. They found her, Jonathan, like, Honestly, it was like water buffalo, uh, you know, bicycle, found her in a Nipah hut in the middle of a field, knocked on the door, said, are you, you know, Dory, Adarasia and Bakatin? She goes, why? And they, she said, well, we have your sister you haven't talked to in 30 years on a cell phone. Talk to her. I mean, this is how incredible it was. They talked, they cried. And Clarita said, we've been wondering if you were alive. This is a big reunion, but there's somebody else that's looking for you. And it's the baby you gave up 30 years ago. I wish I was in that Nipah hut. Uh, the pastor who was there said she fell to the floor crying. And we met. Uh, it was incredible. It was, you know, and my dad, I think the biggest thing for me, I'm so emotional right now. Uh, my so dad, I. I know my dad <laughs> bent down when she saw, you know, Dory's like four seven. And my dad's like this big burly guy. And he bent down to Dory and he said, thank you for giving me the most amazing daughter. And she looked up at my dad through the interpreter and said, thank you for taking care of her. And that I think really is probably why I, why I do the, what I do, the story, family connection, identity, you know, Jonathan, I think that that's why I'm so passionate about this inclusion and, bringing people together and, you know, sharing the story. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible. Later on in 2015, when Typhoon Haiyan happened, it was one of the worst typhoons to hit Southern Asia and the Philippines. Thousands of people died and are still missing. Uh, her house was destroyed. Tons of people in her community died. She was saved in a miraculous way. So we decided to rally Canadians and people to raise money through GoFundMe to, uh, to build a home. And so we built her this crazy brick home with a piggery and a garden and two bedrooms with a door and a kitchen and tiled floors. We went down again, my dad and I, we blessed it. We prayed over it. We cried. I met my extended family. I have six, like I have six uh, half brothers and sisters that for the first time I saw siblings that kind of looked like me. Um, And I realized, Jonathan, as I stood there, it's not like I'm thankful that I wasn't in that place. I mean, you, as an adopted child, when you look at that, I never want people to say, oh, I'm so glad I got brought out of that. I mean, there are moments where it's like, it was hard, but you know, I also know that it might've been hard, but God would have been with me and things would have been different. So I never want to discount or belittle or say that was a worse situation than mine in the, in that, who knows, you know, what could have happened, but uh, I just love the story. When we got there, she had painted a big Canadian maple leaf on the door <laughs> to thank <laughs> Canadians. It's, it's, it's wild. 
uh, we asked her what the most, the best thing of the house was. And aside from I'd given her Benjamin more paint colors for the house, like, you know, cloud white, (laughs) she decided to go with yellow and pink. Hey, that's her prerogative. You know, a a woman knows what a woman wants, you know, so her house is bright yellow and pink. And I think that's really symbolic of this light on the hill because she was the poorest and the least of. And when we built her the home, she was elevated in her community mm-hmm. uh, and her home has become a meeting place for women and men to meet because it's a beautiful space with a garden and whatnot. But Jonathan, the, the amazing thing was we asked out of everything, what was the best part of this house? And there's a beautiful thing. She's got a toilet and electricity. She didn't have any of those things. And she looked at us and she said, a door to my bedroom. Mm. And I said, pardon? She said, all my life, I've slept in an open room with all my kids sharing one space. And for me at, you know, 50 to finally have a door to a bedroom, my space, my own safe sanctuary, that's the best thing. And, and, and you know, I think that's it. The, these little moments and these little parts of a story. Uh, and anyway, so we, it was a wonderful experience. Um, We're still, you know, in touch. It's difficult because she doesn't speak English. She's very far away. So we've had to, you know, kind of work with a pastor and different things. But, you know, that that thread of my story is a really redemptive story. She, you know, they wanted to know about us. And so when I shared about, you know, me following Jesus and my parents, they're very intrigued. And, And years later, you know, they told me that they decided to start going to church and kind of, you know, kind of discover Jesus. I mean, they, um, I believe they were Jehovah's Witness. And uh, so in the Philippines, there's a lot of Jehovah's Witness and Catholic and, you know, but they had never really understood Jesus as the person. So when I got to share about my own journey, it was really neat. And so they're going to church and on their own personal journey. But it's, um, yeah, it's a beautiful thread of the story uh, Mm -hmm. in my own life. Thank you for sharing that. That is so rich. I know there's a lot there, but it just, it's a, it's, yeah, it's. It's a beautiful, I, I think, picture of God. I, I say this all the time. I say to the least of these, like I said this to her, I said, God never forgot you, Dory, right? Like every prayer, no matter who you were praying to, you didn't even know, I mean, you said God or whoever. They didn't even, she didn't even know who that was. Come and on. I said, that's God who heard you. No matter who, I mean, you literally, she was like, I was just praying. And I said, and he heard you. And he heard you and it's a mir- it's a, mir- a miracle. But I believe Dory with all my heart that for, for some reason, for your story, God was like, I'm going to ensure that Dory and her family know that they are seen, heard and loved, that they, <laughs> like essentially that's what it was. And I think that's part of the scene, you know, see here in love, but that he cares for the least of these. She mm-hmm. was the least, a farmer's wife with a, a, a deep rooted secret about me with six kids, poor, 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 impoverished. Her husband eventually died because he had pneumonia and they couldn't afford $7 worth of antibiotics. Like it, mm. the least of these. And then we come in and we're like, here's a home, here's a piggery, here's a garden, here's a tiled floor. And I think it was just beautiful for us to participate in lavishing the gifts to a woman that has had a difficult life. But I believe that's the picture you know, of God. So, yeah, yeah, that's part of this. That's just one part of the story, Jonathan. (laughs) 
Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I flipped open the, the book and, and saw your, your dedication at the beginning to all the young women who believe they are not seen, heard, or loved. And I thought, there's a story behind that. <laughs> and that's not to re- reduce all of your life to just one mm-hmm. thread, as you said, but, but it really does feel like, yeah, what you just kind of said earlier, that it's like you have been reaching out <laughs> to pull people in to give them this, this gift of being seen, of being able to tell their story, of, of redeeming other people's pain. Mm-hmm. And that's just sacred work. Mm-hmm. Thanks. You know, it's interesting. The adoption is one level. I think after we, you know, I grew up in the Philippines and Singapore. And so my life was rich with diversity and you know, multiculturalism and experiences. We traveled all over the world. I mean, I I love when people, you know, bring their family overseas to have their, you know, kids experience it because it was rich for us. I mean, we, our, our, our friends were from the Middle East, you know, Middle East and Muslim and Japanese and Buddhist. Like we had a range of friends and experiences and cultures and food. And I, I, you know, I think that was the most beautiful thing of, of our childhood. And when my dad got transferred, because he was working with Far East Broadcasting Company, which brought him to the Philippines, and then he transferred work to Open Doors with Brother Andrew, and we became a smuggling you know, family of Bibles. And so there, that's a whole other thread that we would smuggle Bibles into <laughs> the former Soviet Union and China. And for a young girl, you know, stuffing her Hello Kitty suitcase with children's Bibles and and handing them over to people crying and going, wow, this is, this must mean something like they kept calling it bread. And I was like, what, you know, but it, it, I think it's, you know, sort of like rooted in something in me about, well, I think maybe it's about courage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My, (laughs) every time we did it, we were like, "Uh, are we gonna get arrested? What's happening? Uh, And my dad, I think that sort of missionary mindset, and I know missionary has it as a you know, hard context for people in that way. But what I mean is in that, in that time, you know, for my dad, it was, we need to get Bibles into the hands of people. So, you know, the family participated. Uh, So it it was very rich. And when I came to Canada uh, in, you know, mid eighties, it was a different Canada, especially where we landed. You know, we landed in outside of Toronto and in Mississauga and the area that we landed in and lived was predominantly, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, all Caucasians. And so when I arrived, it was a shock, not only the cold, but I was only like one of two kids in my grade eight class that were of color. Wow. And the assumption when I moved in with my parents and I overheard neighbors say this is, is that your housekeeper? Is that your maid? You know, is she your caregiver? again with you know sort of the stereotype of Filipinos uh, all Filipinos being that and you know my parents were struggling with that too because that was such a that what, what an assumption and for somebody to so boldly say those things and I would overhear that and I think Jonathan at that age I was 13 even though I had this rich heritage of my faith and you know it was difficult when I come into a country and, and at that time, nothing represented me. Nobody, no Filipino was on magazines or really on TV and, and in, within culture. There was no one like me within my school. Even in my high school, I think there was five of us. I mean, we had 
you know, two black guys, a, a Chinese girl, me, and, you know, uh, I think like a, a East Indian boy, like, I mean, it, five. And, and right. so it was very difficult. And it was difficult when people made presumptions and assumptions about me without even knowing me. I mean, people would literally say to my face, like, oh, you don't have an accent. Or they would go, do you speak English? Now, I went to private schools in America. I was at Singapore American schools. I was learning four languages. I was getting you know, letters from Ronald Reagan at the time saying you, you got, had the highest score in all of like our you know, grade four. Like it was nuts. And then I come to Canada and based on color, they made these assumptions. And I will say this, I got to grade eight and they wanted to boost me to grade nine because my my education level was so high, but people were just still like, do you eat Chinese food? I'm like, I'm Filipino. I eat everything. Like, I mean, and I, you know, and, and it was so difficult in that though, Jonathan, to, it was difficult because what happened was, you know, the lies started rooting in my mind. You're sure. not good enough. You're not accepted. And so in that, and that's why I talked to a lot of, you know, young women, <clears throat> when those lies get rooted, when I didn't share it with anybody or my family, uh, they become bigger lies and fester. And so because you don't like yourself and because you're feeling isolated, then you work really hard to be accepted. So, you know, drugs and alcohol, you know, promiscuity, attention seeking, the way I dress, what I did, fake ID, went down to Toronto to one of those head shops on Young Street and got fake ID from the sketchiest guy, started going to clubs at 17, you know, it, it was nuts. And I will say, and I say this too, uh, if it wasn't for my parents on their knees every night, literally praying and calling heaven down to protect me, I also don't know where I would be today. Mm -hmm. And when I do speak, I say to parents, like, come on, like your kid could be way out, but you got to be praying. And, and it might not be you pray for somebody else to get through to your kid. Uh, and my parents prayed because I would go out every night clubbing. And Jonathan, I'll say, you know, there were situations that could have been far worse for me as a woman. And there were some really tough situations, but even worse. And I would hear loud voices at the club. You know, I'd be dancing to house music, you know, at the club. And I would hear a voice. You do know I'm a house and trance DJ. Right? Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> so I was so much love, much love. Night long. <laughs> and I had the house pants. I was like, I honestly, we would, they would throw me up on stage and I would, we'd lead the, oh, what a time. I mean, it really was. I mean, that was electric circus time for us in, in Canada. On. I was full in downtown. <clears throat> and so uh, I was in that world. And, you know, I think part of it was because I thought the church was boring and I wanted to, I'm a kind of party girl, fun girl. So I wanted that escape, escape and entertainment. But there are times, Jonathan, that I would be walking towards a room or something. And I'm not kidding. I would literally through the house music hear a voice saying, don't go in there. There's something better for you. Uh, it was like God would not leave me alone. Like I could not get rid of him. He was like clinging on to me. It, it was wild. And there are times where that voice saved me. I would hear stuff in the news the next day about the club I was in that something happened. And I was literally walking towards it. And mm -hmm. then I would like detour and take a cab home because it was, it was wild. And my parents would tell me they had bruised knees because they prayed. And I tell parents all the time, don't give up. Like your kid could be 50, 40, 30, 19. Just don't give up on praying. And, and my parents would say, 
you know, they would start praying that somebody else would get through to me. And I would, there'd be people coming up to me and random and they would be drunk and they'd say, you're a hypocrite. I'm like, what? And I'm dancing. And they're like, you're a hypocrite. I'm like, where is this coming from? And they would say things like, yeah, I think we know that you go to church or whatever, but you're being here and I'm dressed like that's a hypocrite. And they'd walk away. And I was like, where did that come from? That's so weird. (laughs) No, where did that come from? But it's like, is that the way God works? I think so. I mean, there's creative ways he uses strange situations and people. I I have witnessed that my entire life. Um, But it was really at the end of the day, I didn't like myself. I was trying to escape. And I've seen that with women. Like I... I wanted to lose myself in, you know, with men drinking, you know, clubbing so that I didn't have to face me sure. and, and, and what I felt I, that I wasn't enough, that I didn't belong, that I, yeah, I wasn't accepted. And, you know, that's hard stuff for women. I mean, I, even now, you know, a lot of my girlfriends as Gen Xers, we, we still battle that deep insecurity of identity and belonging and who we are. And we spout out, I am God's beloved and he's created by me, but there's still, you know, we have to work hard in our minds to not go there and believe it because it, it, it's so, it, it can saturate you. And yet, I mean, through the years, I've, you know, worked through a lot of, of that. And, and I think it, it really took great people and community, my parents to stick with me to love me through the messy, hard stuff. It hasn't been an easy life. You know, I, you know, through that had, you know, a really difficult abusive boyfriend that really triggered off some things, uh, relationships, and then went through a very, you know, difficult depression uh, for eight months that changed my life and changed the course of my life. And so it hasn't been easy, but I think what really got me through some of those really hard things in my prodigal years was that people didn't give up on me. And I say this to people, it's hard. It sucks going through relationship with people that just don't want to listen or want to run away or are angry. But I'm telling you, I'm here today, Jonathan, because people stuck with me. People loved me unconditionally as hard as it was. They really dug in and loved me unconditionally and stayed with me. And I would say that's another part of why I'm here. Mm, that's so that's so beautiful obviously not everybody has had that right not everybody experienced that kind of love and and in some cases maybe i mean i i I think it, it is easy to become fixated on the outward rebellious behavior but it sounds like people really understood with you they understood the heart they understood the trauma the pain right that that this is all symptomatic Yes. Of a deeper thing. I'm glad you're saying that. And you know what? It's crazy the different things that brought me slowly back. I had a friend who's one of my longest friends, Paul. And it makes me emotional too. We've been friends for 32 years. I met him when I was 14 or 13 and longest friend. And he was part of my youth group and he wouldn't give up on me. And he annoyed me. He was one of those like geeky pastor type that just... saw in you potential and would not let you go. And so I always say to pastors, like stick with some of your kids. They may annoy you. And he would be frustrated with me and I would run away from home. I'm not kidding. My mom would call him go, can you find Melinda? And, but I remember one day when I ran away from home and my mom called him, said, we have no idea where she was. And, and for me again, rebellion, I just jumped out of the second floor window, which was stupid, almost broke my legs just to, because my parents wouldn't let me go to a party and I'm running through the suburbs of Mississauga with nowhere to go. It was ridiculous. And he drove up and he found me 
And I was like, great. He's going to like lambaste me and say something. And at the time it was cassettes. Yes. <laughs> and I sit in and he goes, I want you to hear something. And he puts in this cassette and it's Stephen Curtis Chapman's, a Christian worship leader guy. And the song was, and it makes me cry every time, Jonathan, don't let the fire die. I can still see the spark of his love in your eye. Don't let the fire die. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting, listening to him run away. I'm, I'm a mess. Um, I've sort of given myself away. I don't care. And I'm listening to a song that don't let the fire die, that we still see that something in you. And which was, here's the thing. It was hope. It was affirming that there was still good in me, even when I made really lousy and bad decisions. And then I looked at him after he played it and I said, is there something you want to say? He goes, nope, I'm just going to drive you home. And I remember that moment. And I say this too to people, like sometimes you don't need to talk and try to convince me. Sometimes it's just listening and sometimes it's a song. And I think that is where us and community have to be just really diligent and thoughtful and wise on how we approach people and how we do things. It's not always like us trying to tell people what to do and how it should be and how they should be. I didn't, I wouldn't have needed that. It was a song reminding me of the goodness in me that God hadn't forgotten. Wow, I'm emotional on this podcast because I remember that moment. And that was a key moment. So when I got to meet Stephen Curtis Chapman many years later up for the show, Come on. I told him, I told him that. <laughs> and I saw him, I said, have to tell you this. And he's like, this is the kind of thing. And again, it's, it's this whole beautiful way God works because I mean, Stephen plays that song for thousands of people, but he goes, it's good to hear that because sometimes you just need to hear about how it changed the one. And so that also was a learning for me because I put out media to the world and yet, you know, God has really said, but it's the one. You know, if you don't get one like or or a thousand likes, but you get one like because that person watched the show and it made a difference, then that person is worth it because that's God's heart for the one. So that was a really big turning point for me, which sort of kind of like changed a little bit of, you know, where I was headed. Uh, So thanks, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Shout out to you. Thanks, Paul. And thanks to my family, my mom and dad, I put them really through the ringer. It was really difficult. And I think when I told you about the adoption, I'd really put them through a very difficult time. So when my dad looked at Dory, my adopted mom said, thank you for giving us the most wonderful daughter. Mm. And knowing all the pain and crap I'd given them. Of course, because you're 30 at this this point. Yeah, wow. It was a moment of redemption and healing and mercy for my dad to speak that to her, to affirm that no matter what I had done, I was still their daughter and they still love me. And I was a wonderful daughter. And I think for a father, for men listening, I know a lot of women listen to your show, but I have talked to a lot of men to say the importance of loving your daughter and your kids is life-changing. Like Hmm. it is, I think also my mom is a really big part, but my dad as a man in my life, to affirm to me and not discount or be angry also changed me. There's a lot of people who've changed me, but that's what I'm saying. It's like all these parts of people who make good decisions, even in their own brokenness has ensured that I'm continuing in the work that I'm doing, that I'm here today, that I'm alive today. And I'm here. So yeah. Father's love is big too. 
There's a lot of themes, Jonathan. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I mean, this is just so beautiful. I know what you mean about the, about the one, right. You know, Mm -hmm. like we, we, we do this work in media and we try not to care except for (laughs) the things we know we're meant to care about. Yes. It's like your job is literally to be presentable and, and operate within this weird system you know, and then somebody says, like, I, I, I got this letter a couple of weeks ago that was like, I've been a believer for, for 30 years and, and I've read the first chapter of your book and I've just begun to realize that God loves me. Mm. Wow. You know, and I, like, on the one hand, I'm like, man, what was your Christian life? Like, what? <laughs> Why bother? <laughs> but, but I'm like, man, for somebody to know they're loved. Yeah. Which, which again, I think at, at your book launch, I was like, oh, here's a kindred spirit for mm. someone to know that God sees them, that God knows them, that God knows all the horrific choices they've made and the self-destructive things that they ended up doing, which they probably didn't realize were going to be self you know, all this stuff. And he just looks at us with eyes of love. Isn't that beautiful? I, I, and I've, I've felt the eyes of love on me. And sometimes I've said, I don't want it because I feel so gross and dirty and, but it just keeps coming. And, and, and in, you know, in that relationship I have with him, but also again with people, that's why I say people (laughs) enough with the anger and judgment, you know, and especially when I'm speaking to women's conferences and sort of adult conferences and not my youth ones, it's like what you say and do matters. Like you, what you don't do will change, you know, a youth's life, what you, what you do will change, like how you respond in the way, is it anger or, or, you know, sending them out of the house because you don't agree with this or that, like that, that, those decisions will alter, you know, a kid's life forever, uh, will alter not just kids, but generations. And so I think that's really important, um, to know. So I say that to a lot of like adults, like pray, your choices and, and words matter. And in, in any way that you can, you know, loving unconditionally, it's hard. We say it very cliche in a way, but it, it changes, it, it changes people. So, you know, I think, I think that's sort of been the thread and, you know, especially when. We'll take a quick break to thank all of my Patreon supporters. This show is made possible by my monthly and annual supporters on Patreon.com. Huge shout out to Debbie, Kevin, Brianna, and Darcy for joining most recently. That brings me almost to my goal of 70 patrons. I literally need one more person, I think I'm at 69, to come on at either $3 a month or $32 a year. That will get me to my target of 70, which means I can start providing transcribed audio of every episode. So if you'd like to help support the show and my other writing, everything that I'm doing, you can go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. You'll gain access to a bunch of exclusive supporter-only content, including the B-Side, which is a weekly show where I sit down and debrief the most recent episodes with my friends. So thank you to everyone who supports the show or just shares it with everyone you're amazing. You make this possible. Thank you. Let's get back to Melinda. Yeah, I'm just going to jump to sort of the depression part, you know, so I go through all of this and I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm following you and, you know, have a really great career. And then just a lot of difficult things happen, not difficult, but, you know, ended up breaking up with a, 
a man I thought I was going to marry. I get hit by a transport truck. I have a really difficult boss that's really causing me a lot of pain. And in that, I find my birth mother, which is a good thing, but there was a lot of stuff. Of course. And I go through this crazy depression. Like it was so dark and deep and wow, you know, for eight months, like I couldn't get out of bed. People thought I'd die. Like they literally were like asking my, like kind of landlord at the time in my condo, like, can you open the door? And it was like something just like, I couldn't handle it. And I remember the struggle, especially, and I've heard this a lot with other people struggling with that. It's like, you know, you've got God's spirit. He's taking you out of a bad situation. You, you've got all the promises of God. And then you go into this like deep depression. And so there was a lot of guilt and shame associated with that because I'm like, wait a second. I follow Jesus. I talk about God's spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, clearly I don't have a sound mind. I'm not feeling powerful. I'm not loving myself and have no capacity to love others. And here I am. And it was dark. Like I can't even remember days. I couldn't even, I just remember fetal positions. And here I am like, you know, I'm speaking at this time, Jonathan, I'm like in ministry. I'm in this organization, big organization on advocacy and speaking to thousands of kids across Canada about giving to the poor. And I am literally out and had to take a leave and I was out um, and, and just trying to wrestle with it. And again, uh, you know, the only way I got through that was a really great therapist, a great doctor and community, but it was, it was difficult. And in that I realized, you know, for me, um, what they call kind of like a situational depression, which I have to be aware of even today that when things overwhelm me and I can't, and I have all of these things happening in my head, my, my tendency would be just to kind of like shut down. Mm -hmm. And so I'm aware of those signs. And, and I talk about that too. When I do speak that, you know, I have to be aware of those signs and ensure, well, okay. Could be going there, being overwhelmed, could go there. And then what do I have in place? But that was a really interesting time for me uh, and, and just wrestling with God through that. It's very hard. Uh, and then, you know, thankful family came and literally threw me into the shower <laughs> and said, we're going to help you get through this. But and that I think it's a shame that so much of the church culture of this period, especially mm -hmm. Pentecostal culture, did not equip us for real suffering and, and mental challenge. Like, like, yeah. like you said, we have, we have scripture, we have, we have the power and the promises. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why I think also why we do so many mental health and mental illness shows on, on my show on see here love, because I, I, re I remember that on and off the experience, but what that did to me and then how, and when I first shared that publicly, I hadn't. And when I started speaking, I did bring that story. The thousands of women and men who said, thank you for being honest, right. because it right. looks like you've got this great life and you've kind of come through and then you're like, and then you get depressed and you're out, you know? And I realized that, wow, the church and we don't talk about it in healthy, loving ways. We haven't equipped, you know, the church to be able to, to, love and and handle and and sit with people who are struggling the words processes things right and i and so when and here's the thing about story if i can say this it's like every time i would share something that was really personal and i remember wrestling with god saying i don't want to talk about like 
when I attempted suicide at 16 or when I had to flee my abusive boyfriend or, you know, the decisions that I, I made at the club or now my depression. And I remember would wrestle with God about sharing that. And the first time I said it on stage, it was a women's conference and I was shaking. I was terrified because I'm like judgment. Cause here's the thing for, you know, for anybody who's in media or on a platform, Anytime you share something, you're like, oh, and you're trying to like grab it back. Shoot. Because you're like, okay, if you wouldn't judge me, what are they people going to see? But as I've journaled and prayed and talked to God, it's like, that's not your problem. Like your, your, your responsibility is not to manage people's responses and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your responsibility is to, to tell the truth, to be a truth giver, to share the truth of your own story. And also my own character, Melinda, as I talk to God of these talks with him. So when I shared depression, I was like, oh, now people are going to be judging me because I'm not a strong Christian. I have a weak mind, blah, whatever. And the first time I did it, Jonathan, it was like, oh, like women lined up for prayer and think, thank you. And I've struggled with depression for years or I still am in it. And my kid is in it. My husband is in it. It's impacting our marriage like over and over. And then I realized this is an important topic to discuss. Yeah. Nothing to be ashamed about, something to be honest about, but how do we in community help one another? What do we do? And, and being very honest, like I saw, you know, a therapist, I, you know, I was on medication for a little bit. I saw a great doctor. I had a great community. I had to choose in the fogginess of my mind. I had to, in it, kind of find my way to say, is this how I want to be and live forever? And I mean, and that's my own personal experience. I'm very aware of other people's, you know, experiences, but that was a big one. And I think that learning was, you know, <laughs> uh, n- not to kind of like cast pearls before swine in that way. I, I don't want to say things to just get more likes or to get more opportunities to speak. But I, I, I believe that as I've been journeying in my life, God's been like, these are important things. I'll give you the courage, do it. I'm with you and do it because it will bring healing and connection with people who feel very isolated and alone. So yeah. I do it. It's not always the most comfortable. <laughs> it's not always like easy, but that's not life. Life isn't that. I think life is about, I think, ensuring people know they're loved, that, you know, people are there for them, that God is with them. And if if I can ensure that promise and truth to people by sharing my own story, then let's do it. Let's go. So good. Mm. I, I, yeah, again, okay, I think, <laughs> Michael, let's get real coffee in person one day when we're allowed <laughs> to do things like that again. Uh, yeah, I can identify so much of the, just that that importance of that vulnerability and what it what it does for other people, right? Like, I think in in social media, even we've gotten like vulnerability means oversharing, mm-hmm. but that's not what it means. Like, vulnerability is an is an undefended state, right? Which means all vulnerability is an open door, and if it's an open door, then other people can walk through it. Yeah. And, and so they get out of their prisons too because of our willingness to, and your willingness to be yeah. open. And then, yeah. and like, that's. It's, yeah. it's big. I mean, and I'll share one more. I mean, I could talk to you for another two hours, but I think the, that was a big one for me with depression, but I think the biggest was when I was going through my divorce. And this is an interesting, this is like a topic unto itself. But I'm now on national TV on a woman's show, the first Christian women's talk show called Full Circle in Canada. It was part of 100 Huntley Street, which was the longest running daily talk show in Canada. 
and I was asked to be a co-host. So I was on for seven years. And then during that time, I married, you know, a man from my church and he was actually on the show and, you know, here it was and living the, living the, you know, the dream of both of us working, living in a great home in Oakville, Ontario. And, and it wasn't easy. I mean, this is the fascinating, interesting part of it is that, you know, I'm sitting, listening to the top marriage experts <laughs> on the show every week and I'm having real difficulty in my marriage. And, you know, you don't want to share about that because here you are in ministry. Uh, you're the person who's speaking truth and giving people, you know, encouragement. And, you know, even though I'm like, I've come on this journey and it's about vulnerability and community and I'm in that, we weren't honest about our own marriage and it was tough and we we're having a hard time. But I will say, I never thought that it would end. I thought we'd find a way to get through it. And one day he decides and he looks at me and says, I don't want to be married anymore. Now, you know, I think in the trigger of that, Jonathan, you know, I've been through senses of abandonment and rejection from my own self, from other people. And to hear those words, it was like, like, I'm not good enough. Here we go again, right from 13 when I arrived in Canada, uh, not good enough. Uh, not measure up, don't belong, rejected. And there is my husband who I made, you know, this covenant to who says I don't want to be married. In that, I'm also in ministry and a very, like we were on, you know, national television. <laughs> people, when we would go to the restaurants, people would stop me and, and my, you know, husband at the time, like it was crazy. So here I am now confronted with I'm rejected and now I'm going to be abandoned because he left the house a few weeks later. I'm not good enough. And how do I message this to a predominantly evangelical community of viewers? So which one of you had an affair? <laughs> exactly. Right. Like right. what was, how did this happen? What was the purpose? What happened? So kept it secret. And then a good friend of mine, which I love good friends. That's why I've now surrounded myself. She said to me, like, you need to tell your show because, you know, it's going to get out that you, people might not see you and with them, with him anymore. So I remember thinking, Jonathan, okay, I'm in the largest evangelical Christian media <laughs> production with a very well-known lead CEO and speaker who tend to be more conservative. Oh my gosh, what is going to happen to me? And I remember that moment, like I was shaking, I was terrified, I was shaking. And I remember going, this is it. Like I, this is it, my, my job is over, I'm out and I'm not going to be in ministry anymore. And I remember going to, and I will say that like Ron and Ann Maines, who, you know, lots of people love and some people don't understand because, you know, they're not like them. And I made a judgment on them, which is another part. And that's will be another part of our podcast one day. I made a judgment on these people. And I went to them and I said, he doesn't want to be married anymore. He's left me. So basically, I know what's happening. I know what's going to happen. And I remember Anne looking at me and saying, oh, my gosh, Mel, with such great love and mercy and saying, we will not shoot our wounded you will still stay on the show and you will still stay in our ministry. And we will go to the top on your behalf. We will advocate for you. 
to be with us. Now, think about that. Like I made the, a judgment. I was ready because I felt I deserved it. Here I am, Christian ministry, <laughs> a face to Christian ministry, listening to the Gary Smalley's and all the top guys on marriage. And my marriage is completely in shatters. And when she said that, I just broke down crying. Mm. I was like, I'm sorry. And she's like, we'll be an advocate. We won't shoot you while you're down. We're going to help restore you. Now, they they said, we're also going to pray that your marriage is restored. But it, it was more the fact that there was somebody who said, we'll be on, on your behalf, speak for you, advocate for you. And, and we know your heart, Mel, even though the situation could be very messy and there'd be a lot of like negativity about this, especially for a Christian ministry, we'll, we'll have your back. That also changed me because when you have people that will stand for you uh, and, and risk even their own jobs and reputation for defending you, that changes everything too. It, it means that you're not alone, that you people see that you are valued that you ha- your voice is still needed. And even when this situation occurs, people will be with you. And I remember that moment changed everything. And fast forward a few months later, they asked me to go public with it. So I, you know, I have a lawyer, I have my pastor, I have my friends reading through my teleprompter script when <laughs> I announced literally to Canada that I am going through a separation and divorce. I will never forget that moment reading that off on a teleprompter across Canada, uh, knowing what could happen, uh, what people would say, people would assume and judge, make up stories. I remember looking right to camera, Jonathan, and sharing it. Were you present or were you like totally outside of your I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) I just remember Anne, the host, saying, now uh, Melinda wants to share a really important update with her life, something like that. Mm. And I just look right to camera and teleprompter in the studio, bright lights, the girls on the show holding my hand, I'm shaking and I say it. And I just say, I share the verse about that, you know, God's love is wide and deep and you can't escape it. And then I shared and the very end of it, it gives me chills to this day. I finish and I feel the weight of what's gonna happen next in on the phone lines, emails to our president. And I remember it going quiet, they were like, that's, it's a wrap. And this lone cameraman just goes. I'll still, I can't, I'll never forget it. And all of a sudden, all the production teams start clapping. Mm-hmm. People came down from their offices to the studio and literally embraced me. Again, a beautiful picture of when people put aside judgments, put aside that and show mercy and love it was the most powerful thing the studio I've ever experienced in my life. It was just like this supernatural experience of God's love just flooding. What was even more supernatural is we didn't get any negative calls in. When that went live on, it literally was on global television. It was on Yes TV. It went online. We actually had to, I actually had to take it down because there was thousands of hits on it. Whenever somebody Googled my name, the divorce <laughs> would come up. So I was like, take it down. So finally we took it down because people just kept watching it over and over again. What happened though, Jonathan, was I expected negativity and judgment. And instead I got bags of mail for months 
from people across Canada and ministry, everyday people, pastors who wrote me, emailed me, phoned in to say, thank you. For you to speak that gave me courage to share my story. For you to speak that gave me courage to stand up and say, that's not right. And I read stories of unbelievable, painful divorces and separations that like I would be on the floor in my office, like bawling. There are people that people knew that are well-known in ministry and pastors who confidentially said to me, my you know, wife and my husband are going through a very difficult time and we're at this place. We've never told anybody, I'm telling you, who was your counselor? What are you doing? And so I was able to, to help in very practical ways. In that, though, what happened was it opened up the show. It, it opened up me to be, I think, more honest, to be, again, not in a way to attract more fans and viewers. But what I saw in that was, again, God, like I, I'm, and I, I remember hearing like God was with me and, and I mean, terrified, but what it did was I saw healing in a country and in, in Canada that needed it in, in the place of divorce where nobody wanted to talk about it. Nobody. And, and it's, a, and it's pretty crazy because my dad now at his age goes, the, the, the country and church has come a long way in this area because they would never churches when he was growing up would never have a divorced woman at the pulpit speaking ever. Oh, sure. I'd be like, and now it's like, you know, (laughs) speak all the time. I've got a, I've got a Christian show on, you know, on, on TV uh, and, you know, I am divorced. And so that was a huge turning point for my life too, which really, I think set a bit of the foundation for see here, love Uh, all of these. And I think, you know, as I look back right now, it's like all of these experience really set me up (laughs) for what I'm doing, because, you know, if I hadn't gone through these things or shared or seen, seen the outpouring or gone through hard stuff, could I talk in an authentic and honest way uh, now with, with my show? I don't think so, Jonathan. I don't really, I don't think so. So that moment in broadcast television, Christian television, when people still tell me that I watched it, Melinda, (laughs) I watched it in the morning. I watched it at night. I watched it online. I couldn't believe you said that. Um, but I, I go, I can't believe I said it either. Uh, but it brought a lot of healing for so many of myself and then opened up, I think for the organization I'm part of now and also other, you know, sort of women's groups about being authentic. Like we hadn't really talked about authenticity back then and like honesty and transparency and Christian media or Christian, Mm -hmm. you know, messaging, we were always trying to front that everything was okay. And I think that was a breakthrough, not only for me, but you know, for many people. So yeah, that, that was that ex- experience that really kind of I think set the course for, again, why I do what I do today. Yeah. Wow. And you know, this, your book is called Always Know. Yeah. And what, and what I keep hearing you say, you know, in the show and elsewhere is always know that you are seen, heard and loved by God. And I, I figured that you had receipts. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really glad that you, uh, <laughs> that you shared them with us. Yeah. I, I think again, you know, part of the story and why I share is that, you know, we all have these receipts and story. Uh, and I think, you know, 
this this book always know is I, there's so much i you know i've always been about wanting to sort of amplify voices i've always been you know as obviously to ensure that you know young women's voices of different ethnicities and experiences are are seen heard and loved and shared because we it's not been easy that's a you know another part of my story it's not been easy being a filipino woman in christian ministry i mean you know, again, I'm thankful for so many men and women, but actually men who advocated for me from presidents of organizations to pastors who risked their jobs for having me preach at the pulpit mm. in a conservative church where they said, but you need to share this and we will stand with you. And, you know, being brought to the board because I spoke because women are not supposed to speak. Uh, it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been easy because it's, it's me. Like what you're saying is because I am a young woman with brown skin, I am disqualified. I am not able to do this X. And I know that that flows into other people groups as well. And I think also that's why I have such a soft heart for that uh, and ensuring inclusion within my, you know, my husband and my world of friends and community, but also within the show. Uh, because it's been very, very hard. And to have people assume things about you or you're like, but I can't change this. Right. You're making a judgment call and closing a door on me because of this, because of me, because of my black hair and my Filipino skin and my gender. Are you kidding me? Like, what? And so I understand that pain for, for many people today. So I think, you know, the book, the show, that's all about that, that, you know, this book, you know, always know is a celebration of voices and experiences and diversity and truths and wisdom from so many 50 different people, because that's how we learn is when we share our story and, and we listen and we lean in and we take it in and say, what, what can I learn? What, what is, what is something that I can do? And so, you know, I'm so thankful, Jonathan, that you're in the book. I think the unique part of the book is that it's connected to an episode that everybody has been on, which people are like, that's wild. But every blog post is connected to a show. So when they read your, you know, your post, it's like, oh, I can actually watch him too. And as a, as a white male, <laughs> I feel incredibly blessed and privileged to be included. I'm in so like glad. Well, we needed diverse women, Canadian voices. We needed, like, we needed me. one white guy <laughs> to make it, yeah, to kind of like round it out with everybody else. Um, I mean, I wasn't born in Canada. I've naturalized as a Canadian. Okay. So I understand, you know, again, we've been through this journey. We both, we both know what it's like. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um and I think too, just like the show and like my life after every blog, there's a, you know, kind of reflection and takeaway just because I think everybody, you know, somebody who's high output for me and extroverted, I've had to really work it in, in my life, the pause and ponder, the reflection and takeaway. It's always important to, we go through life so quickly and we never take time to pause and go, whoa, that was good. Or what did I learn or in that movie, in that song, in that experience, in interaction with somebody? We, we just keep going. And yet there's richness in like doing the pause, the reflection to say, whoa, what did that mean to me? What, what struck me? Why did my heart go, you know, what is that? And then I'm always big on just like the show, the takeaway, like you cannot 
go about life and just go, oh, that that's great learnings and not have an action, decide to do something about it, make your life yes. better, make somebody else's life better, do something for the good of the world. Uh, so that's really beautiful. And I'm really proud of this book. You know, everybody's like, you got to write your own story, which I'm hoping to do one day. But this is another part of me that I I love. And so it's, it's it was an honor to do it, curate all the blogs, uh, put this together um, and make sure it goes out to the world. So, you know, your voice, Jonathan and others can be heard. So that's why I always know, right? Always know dot, dot, dot. That was the title. So I wanted to make sure people got it. Like always know you're seen, heard and loved. Like so that. good. Mm-hmm. So good. And may I say the takeaway and reflection that you or someone on your team wrote for my piece were perfect. I was like, oh, I don't think I wrote this, but this is <laughs> lovely. This is like, you know, this is exactly what I would have said. So well done. Uh, where can where can folks find the book, Melinda? Right. So I always like to pe- people to go to our website, seeherelove.com. And then if you, you know, forward slash always know, it goes right to the book. But you can also pick it up now on Amazon and, and buy it through Amazon. But I think it'd be great for your listeners to come onto the website because it has blogs and bios and resources to really help you on your journey of life. And uh, what's great about when you go, you know, seeherlove.com slash always know, you can actually click on the episodes of each each guest. There's really cool downloads and a whole bunch of stuff. So that's where you can get the book. And yeah, I, I've been hearing, Jonathan, too, a lot of people are getting the book for their women's group, for their youth group. And uh, I think people caught on my kindness kind of like campaign a little bit, personal one, on buying the book and actually mailing it out and dropping it off for people that need some encouragement today because they're easy reads right i mean they're yeah, a page sure. and a half totally not Very long short. reading so it's short so yeah i'm just hoping that more people you know get it more for the encouragement of people especially in the middle of a pandemic and crisis and we can't read long for some people it's just short little stories that will help you you know in your journey so that's why we have some really great themes and again like you said all of these themes connect with my life personally too so yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for sharing all this. This has been just so wonderful to, to get to know you better and, and to have some time together. I'm thinking for folks who are listening in and they can see themselves in a lot of your story, but they may not have had the praying parent or mm-hmm. the community that pushed them in the shower and said, okay, you can live again. Um, I wonder if you would pray for those folks for, for their particular position. Mm, Absolutely. Yes. So God, we, we breathe in your peace and we breathe in your love and we breathe in your joy and we're thankful for you. And I pray for the listener who is desperately struggling today, who is alone and confused, who is sad and angry, who is at loss, who is struggling with depression, who feels isolated or abandoned or rejected, who has lost their dreams for the future, who feels hopeless. God, I pray that after this conversation and right now with the sharing of my story, but really your story, God, that they would know 
deeply that they are seen, heard, and loved by you, that they would sense your presence with them right now, that some part of the story and the truth of who you are, God, would would stick and there'd be something there where they would call out to you, ask for your help, ask for assurance that they will get through another day. I also ask God that you would bring people in their life that will support and love them, the most random person or the closest person to them, that they would have courage to reach out, to share what they're going through, that they would have the courage to, to find somebody that can help them, a community. God, I pray for the church in Canada, us, that we would also be attuned to the needs of people around us in our neighborhood, that we would reach out and serve, that we wouldn't go through our busy days just so busy, but make margins and time to listen to you and to be led by you to the people that need your love. God, I pray for parents who are discouraged and stressed out about their kids, young and old, that they would get down on their knees and continue to pray for them, that they would show mercy and unconditional love, even when it's hard or you don't agree, but they would extend love and grace. I pray for the young people who are have stepped away, like me as a prodigal, that you're never too far away from God. That's the truth. That God is always present, always wooing, always there. And so stop trying to control your life and run away. But that the best place to be is in relationship with him. And I pray for Jonathan, that you would continue to give him great influence in the place of story and learning, that he would continue to listen deeply, lean in, continue to amplify diverse voices so that we can learn and grow together. Pray for his family and for just the work that you have him doing. And so I thank you for this time. I thank you, God, for just being a good and patient father when a lot of us, our fathers weren't great, that you are that father. I thank you, Jesus, for your life and showing us how to live and love the least of these, the marginalized, oppressed, how you suffered greatly uh, in your life because of your love for us. And so I thank you for your life and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you lead and guide us and speak to us each day. Help us be attuned to you even more. So I thank you for this sacred time together. Thank you for this moment to share story and to pause and to reflect on your faithfulness and goodness to us. And so we commit all these things in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Melinda. That was such a special time. We were both just sitting there with tears flowing down our faces. Maybe you were too. If you want to know more about Melinda, go hit the show notes. You'll find links to her book, Always Know. And to learn more about Melinda and where you can watch her show, see her love. Last week's B-side was very exciting. We talked about the great sex rescue, my wife and some friends of ours. And uh, they shared about years of painful sex. Uh, she, my, our good friend, suffers from vaginismus. And so much of the books they read and the evangelical church programming they received, they really believe 
screwed them up big time. And so they have come to a place of really wonderful healing as well. So if you want to hear their story and if you want to listen to the B-side, you'll need to become a patron. Uh, there's a wonderful comment here from Cheryl on last week's B-side. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Laughed, cried, laughed some more. So refreshing to hear this kind of open discussion amongst Christian friends. And then Angela wrote in, such a good point about youth leaders being single males who haven't got a redemptive sexual ethic yet. Yeah, that was uh, that one just came to me, you know, in the moment. So there will be a B-side for this episode with Melinda. That'll be on Patreon in the next few days. If you want to listen in, patreon.com slash Jonathan Paul. Thanks for being here, my friends. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day.